Yup, this is Sam, the host of fellow Bad Bitch Brigade podcast, Inner Ho Uprising. Queen and Jay are taking a break this week, but do not turn this off. They asked me to help introduce a very special show to you. It is called In Those Jeans. Yes, like the Genuine song. And it's a science and Black culture podcast that seeks to use genetics to help uncover the histories and futures of African descendants. It's entertaining, uplifting, and educational as hell. And I'm not just saying that because I produce it. And if you want some outside words, Jay asks that I add that the show is black as hell and not fucking boring. In a moment, we're actually going to play the full pilot episode of In Those Jeans, all about black identity. But before we play that episode, I have two very important announcements from Queen and Jay. On February 27th in Manhattan, New York, Queen and Jay will be leading a discussion on podcasting while busting your ass at a 9 to 5. This talk is in partnership with ACAST and will be centering Black up-and-coming podcasters. If you would like to attend, you can find the link to RSVP in the show notes. Also, it's that time of year. Yes, Pod and Live NYC, the largest Black podcasters meetup in the entire universe, is returning for the year 2020. That will be on Saturday, April 18th from 4 p.m. to 9 p.m. We don't have a link to RSVP to that as yet, but mark it down in your calendars. All right, without further ado, here is In Those Jeans. Welcome to the family, everybody. You're listening to In Those Jeans, a science and culture podcast that uses genetics to decode the lost histories of African descendants. I am your host, Dr. Janina Jeff, a human geneticist at a biotech company. I'm also an educator, a lover of hip hop, and now I'm a podcaster. Before we get into the show, I want to give you some background about what we do here and why. What you can expect in future episodes and a quick intro explaining what the first season will be about. First, let's start off with why I started this show. So really, it is my love for genetics, Black people, and the arts that has inspired me to make this show. But also because tons of people use science to perpetuate a bunch of bullshit about Black folks. My research leads me inescapably to the opinion that the major cause of the American Negro's intellectual and social deficits is hereditary and racially genetic in origin. Saying things like we're genetically less intelligent, more prone to violence, better at sports, more aggressive. But I'm here to tell you today, we got 99 problems, but our genes ain't one. In fact, human beings are 99.5% the same genetically. That tiny percentage explains so much and is the reason why we have different skin tones and hair textures. It also has been manipulated to construct an entire system of oppression. These slight differences in our outer appearance have become the cornerstone of race in our society. And race, in turn, is the cornerstone for shit like slavery, mass incarceration, genocide. So as people of African descent, we have quite a complicated relationship with our genetic identities. On one hand, our genes have been lied on. The myth that our DNA is inferior? On the other hand, our genetic lineages have been completely erased. In fact, they weren't even documented. We don't have records spanning 10 generations back like white folks do. I mean, seriously, you can ask a white person about their ancestors and they can tell you Irish, French, British. Hell, they even know names. They know all the things and we know none of them. This became really apparent to me when I was speaking with a guy from Europe. And we were talking about these genetic tests and he asked me, had I ever done an Ancestry or a 23andMe.com test? And I said, no, I haven't done it. And he's like, why? And I'm like, well... I really just don't think they do a good job of educating our black people about what's happening with these tests. And he goes, you're a black? And I was like, yeah, I'm black. Like, what did you think I was? 
And he was like, well, I mean, where are you from? And I was like, well, I'm from New Orleans. And he was like, okay, like, tell me more. Like, where are your ancestors from? Like, he wanted details. So what do you mix with anyway? Like, are you Spanish? You from Africa? Like, where, where are you from? And then it became apparent to me that, one, he didn't know anything about slavery, because if he had known that, he would know that slavery ripped away our connections to our identities, native languages, family history, culture, and medical histories. But Black folks are resilient and resourceful. We've reconnected to our roots by way of culture, hip-hop, twerking, spades, gumbo, you name it. But one thing we are still missing is a connection to our genetic lineage. There's a Ghanaian proverb called Sankofa. In English, it means it's never too late to go back and fetch what has been lost or forgotten. The proverb has been an important cultural element to Pan-Africans, a reminder to us all to connect to our original roots. I see genetics as a scientific Sankofa in a way. Here, we are using our DNA to go back and fetch our lost identities. To give us more perspective about the sociology behind our Black identity, we will have our In Those Genes family member and race expert, Dr. Saida Grundy, bless us with her knowledge. I am Saida Grundy. She is a feminist sociologist of race and ethnicity and an assistant professor at Boston University. Did I mention she's also my Spelman sister? I went to Spelman in the fall of 2003, mm-hmm. and Saida was starting her senior yes. year. So we come from a, a group of people who all send their daughters to, to Spelman. Spelman, <laughs> thy name we praise. Let's start with this idea of identity and what it means to be Black. When you have a group of people who often their shared link is the trauma and exploitation of slavery, developing a new identity is a challenge and then reclaiming an identity is another challenge. We at one had to be strangers in our new land and then had to reclaim a land that was very deliberately kept from us in terms of our knowledge. Throughout the season, we'll be turning to Saida for more historical context on race, class, gender, and how these concepts tie into our genealogy. This is the only podcast hosted by a Black geneticist who understands the science and the culture. And my number one goal is to educate you, the fam, because we are family. So we will spend minimal time talking about genetics of a particular person and more time building a research community that understands our genetic history. There will be things that are off limits, like religion. We respect all spiritual and religious beliefs, but I am not an expert in theology. We will also not be giving medical advice. However, we will recommend you do your research, seek professional medical advice, and challenge your physicians with the genetics you learn here in the lab with me. Now, on to the fun stuff. We will explore everything that makes our Black beautiful. Every week, I'll break down complex genetic concepts to help us understand who we are. Since most of us don't know about our identities because they have been stolen from us, I'm calling this first season 46 Chromosomes and a Mule, which is a reference to the 40 acres and a mule former slaves were promised after the Civil War. So we are starting with how you can learn about your 46 chromosomes and mitochondrial genome using direct-to-consumer genetic testing. So what are direct-to-consumer genetic tests? These are DNA tests that you as a consumer can order. Ancestry.com and 23andMe are some famous ones you may have heard of. Now here's the catch. I know so much about these tests, 
but actually haven't done one for reasons you'll learn about throughout the season. So I will be taking this journey with you. And as I teach you and encourage you to engage with science, I will be doing the same. These tests are marketed and aimed in helping you understand your identity. Specifically on today's episode, we will talk about the black identity. We'll break it down culturally and genetically. In our first segment, Genes for the Culture, I'll talk about some concepts and population genetics within the African diaspora. Next, in our Cracking the Code segment, we'll have a kitchen table cipher with my parents, the people who brought me to you and made my identity. And we'll talk about my Black-ass family tree. So let's get started. In our first segment, Genes for the Culture, I'll break down scientific and culturally relevant topics related to genetics. Specifically, in this episode, we'll be talking about what it means to be Black culturally and genetically. Our podcast is intended to be culturally relevant and embracing of authenticity, atypical of your normal science classroom. So there will be times when that authenticity shines through my language. We want to warn you that we do use the N-word and profanity. Within a firm context, of course. However, we want to be respectful as we know this language can be triggering and painful to hear. If you do not wish to hear this, please refer to the show notes for the time codes for which portion you'll want to fast forward to. So what does being Black mean? I mean, we as people debate about this so much. Are you African-American? Are you Afro-Caribbean? Are you Afro-Latino? Are you Afro-European? Or are you from the continent of Africa? Even within a specific group like African-Americans, it's are you light-skinned? Did you go to HBCU or PWI? Are you from the North or the South? Do you put sugar or salt in your grits? I mean, we go down a rabbit hole trying to define our Blackness. But the truth is, blackness, like race, is a construct created by white people to enforce a hierarchy of human beings and to justify slavery and colonialism. Saida, our race expert, explains more. Slavery uh, has been happening as long as uh, there have been civilizations and empires, but but it's very, very different from how Europeans did slavery. In fact, the Portuguese are the first to practice race-based slavery. And they combine colonization with slavery. Now, when you do that, as humans, we can recognize other humans. And so you need to have a classification system that says, yeah, but they're not really humans. And that's why we invented race. And we really invented a pseudoscience that said that race was biological when it absolutely is not. There is no gene that one quote-unquote race has that another race of people does not. So while Blackness is a societal construct, it's also a rich and varied set of cultural experiences shared by people of African descent. In genetics, we don't define individuals by what we call race but we define individuals by having a shared genetic ancestry. And from this extent, we can learn about our genetic ancestry to embrace our Blackness. So genetically, being Black is not dependent on if you can successfully renege in a space game. Man, you shiny! Man, that nigga renege! Or if you know all the words to International Players Anthem, Nuck If You Buck, or SWV's Week. 
Genetically being black is having an admixed genome. Bitch, what? Bitch, what? Yes, admixed genome. Let me break that down. Before I can even tell you what a genome is, I have to tell you what a gene is. And genes are what make us us. So everybody has the same genes. As much as we try to think one person has a gene for this and other person has a gene for that, we all have the same 25,000 genes. But what makes it different are the four letters that make up these genes, and that's called DNA. So those four letters or these four chemicals are adenine, thymine, cytosine, and guanine. And for short, we call them A, T, C, and G. And so the sequence of these letters is what makes one gene different from the next gene. And within the same gene, you can have a different sequence between different individuals. So I told you guys we're 99% the same. So we have the same genes, but some of our genes may have an A where someone else has a T. And that's what makes us different from each other. Now, genome is a term that refers to your entire gene pool. Now we're talking about all 25,000 genes. We use it as a cohesive term to distinguish it from talking about a particular gene per se. For the sake of explanation, think about your genome as a bowl of rice. The entire bowl is your genome and every spoonful are your individual genes. So we know each bowl of rice has 25,000 spoonfuls or genes. Now, the other word I said was admix, which I use to describe our genomes. The term genetic admixture is used to describe exactly that, the mixing of two distinct populations. In the context of African-Americans, we are the result of an admixture event between Africans and Europeans. And on average, African-Americans have 80% African ancestry and 20% European ancestry. And that European ancestry came from Massa's blood. Nah, for real, that's some real shit. Now let's bring in Saida to talk about this more. African-Americans are an amalgamated race. We are made through rape we are we are the children of white males raping a population of african women thomas jefferson fathered six children by sally hemmings but those children have never been recognized by the jefferson family president jefferson's african-american descendants are now scattered all throughout the united states their legacy unacknowledged their inheritance unclaimed which is why somebody owes me a million dollars, man. So back to our bowl of rice or genomes. You can imagine a bowl of rice from a white person is literally that, just a bowl of white rice. Every spoonful is visibly the same, but an admix genome from African-Americans looks like a bowl of jambalaya, jollof, paella, whatever your favorite nigger rice may be. <laughs> No, but seriously, although admixture can be defined in many ways, most white Americans have very little continental ancestry from Africa and Asia. However, they do have varied ancestry from other countries, which could be measured. So let's think of their bowl of rice as having some salt and pepper, but still not seasoned very well. Now add a pinch of salt and a pinch of pepper to taste. But our rice is much more flavorful and complex. African genomes are the richest genomes in the world. We have more variation than any other population, and I'm talking Africans on and off the continent. You see, Africans are the oldest population on Earth. It is no secret that Africans were the first human beings on Earth, that we are 
the original seed, the archetype of humanity. And because we're so damn old, we have the most genetic variation in our genomes. Black don't crack. Essentially, each spoonful is different for each person. I mean, if it's jambalaya, you might get a piece of shrimp in one spoonful, a sausage in another. Hell, you may hit a green onion in the next. Tastes so good, make you want to slap your mama! Now, other African-descended populations have a slightly different representation of genetic ancestry, but they are still admixed. For sake of consistency, let's say paella can be thought of to describe Hispanic-Latino genomes. Hispanic-Latinos are a part of the African diaspora. Afro-Latinos have African, European, and Native American ancestry. Puerto Ricans, for example, have 20% African ancestry, 10 to 15% Native American or Taino ancestry, and 60% European ancestry. So a lot more European ancestry than African Americans, but still with a considerable amount of African ancestry. There is no question that learning our identity has several benefits culturally and genetically. Now companies are offering folks a chance to look at their entire genomes. And the best selling point right now is to tell you about your beautiful admix genome and where your ancestors are from. They also tell you about genetic diseases and traits like baldness or freckles. But what they really try to sell you is a narrative of learning about your ancestors because they know, like I know, that we just don't know. Now we're going to hop into Cracking the Code, our segment where we learn about genetics through kitchen table style conversations with kindred spirits. Today we're talking about the story of our identities. So I thought, who would be better to speak about identity than the people who made me, my parents? So I asked my mom and dad to join me in the lab to talk about our roots. Family, meet the Jeffs. I'm Calfani Jeff, born in Chicago, Illinois. I'm Gretchen. I was born and raised in Washington, D.C. When I graduated high school, I went to New Orleans, met my husband, Calfani, stayed there and raised my family. So let's start with before I was born and how you guys met over a love for music. That's an interesting story. Uh, <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, you want me to say that? Yeah, you say that part. Okay, so we met at this party. And the interesting fact is I came to this party with his best friend, who I was dating at the time. Ah, the T. You know what that means? No, I have no idea. What is that? (laughs) So T is like like juicy information, like gossip. So this is like tea. You're spilling tea. I was spilling the tea when I mentioned that. Yeah, you... you Should I not mention that? No, you've already (laughs) said it. The tea has been spilled. Continue. (laughs) I met him at the party and we started listening we were listening to the same music uh, yeah we, uh, we, were, we were sitting there we were listening to the music and somehow or another Zach gave us a ride home right right well my best friend uh, lived around the corner so you were dating his best friend Zach right mm-hmm. you met Zach yes short guy right short guy crazy right. mm-hmm. <laughs> short guy crazy and it's funny because uh, the party we went to was uh, actually a, a current girlfriend at that time. This is a lot of tea. That's too much. That's too much. No, you can. <laughs> and so um, I just found it ironic that she liked kind of the same things that I like in terms of, um, I guess you all would call it alternative music or we call it new wave and funkadelic type. So let's let's take this to 
me and my identity. So when I was born, there's this picture, actually, we don't have it anymore because of Katrina, but Dad, you may remember, it's a Polaroid picture of me when I was in intensive care. I was white as hell. Um, <laughs> you were very... You, yeah, you were very... I, I'll never forget your, your grandfather's... He came in my room. Paternal grandfather? Yeah, yes. my, my father. Uh-huh. Came in my room and says, I have a white grandchild. And it scared me because <laughs> it was like, is he accusing me of something? <laughs> yeah, well, was she like, was very, she's well, still what very What did you like, think, Dad? Because you're, um, the, you're the darkened one. Yeah, well, it was an easy one. I saw the feet. I knew she was mine. <laughs> very flat-footed. Um, you're, you're Jeff, flat-footed? Jeff feet. Jeff feet. Jeff feet. Uh-huh. Both of my daughters have Jeff feet. Mm-hmm. My son has uh, Gretchen's feet. Okay, so you saw me. You saw the feet, and you were like, "That's that's me." No matter I, how red she is, that's me. Now, what you mean by red? Say red. What you is? You, you Creole baby. Red in New Orleans is a uh, enduring term for a light-skinned person, but then also a word that's used. To describe, I think I guess we would call the intersection be- between um, former slave and former slave master. Here to comment more, Saida. New Orleans, you know, in Louisiana, that was particularly, they have a whole uh, race of Creoles because there's so much racial intermingling, not just slave to master, but racial intermingling. And so you have these gradations of blackness, which before Jim Crow were allowed to be different classes of black people. And in fact, you know, to a certain level, you say, well, that's not black, that's Creole. So you saw me. Yeah, I saw you. And I'm, I, I saw. Grandpa and I was, said I, you, was a, that's a, <laughs> you got a white baby. Yeah. And I, and I was like put on the spot. I was like, is he accusing? Well, let me ask you, did you think, I mean, tell us a little bit about your family and your past, because since you are the lighter parent, did you expect me to come out this light based on no. your family history? So why don't you tell the family a little bit about your family history? OK, well. My mother is fair-skinned, and your complexion are even lighter. I, I think actually did pass for white. Long ago, my mother, she, she left the family. So I, you know, I was basically raised by my father. My mother had me when she was 18. So she was in, back in the 60s, it was pretty much a no-no, you know, being 18 and pregnant. So my fondest memories of her is that she used to play with me a lot. I mean, we jumped rope together. She used to walk me to school. And I remember those days. It bothered me because I didn't know she left. She never said goodbye. She just disappeared. And she left me, and I had two brothers who were also fair-skinned. In fact, between me and my two brothers, I am the darkest one. My brothers are your complexion. Or, or even lighter. Yeah, I'll go as far as to say lighter. And um, she left the family, never heard from her again. My grandmother, I would say, was close to my complexion. And my grandfather was dark like your father. Mm-hmm. And there was. And she all- was lighter than both of them. Yeah, my mother was lighter than both of them which always sparked a question. But see, like, back when I was growing up, you know, I, th- I think it was part of the culture, there was just certain things you don't ask. And that was one What my mom is describing is this assumption that her grandfather was not her biological grandfather. 
you know, I tried to do research into it, but, you know, they don't have the technology that they have. You know, so, so who was her biological grandfather? We'll assume he was white. But one way to help us find out would be to use consumer genetic testing. There are a lot of questions I have about that, my mother's side and her lineage. And I think it only can be answered through, through genetics. Some things we don't talk about in Black families is our painful past. White ancestry isn't always right ancestry. So to take a deeper look at the sexual history between white men and Black women, let's turn to Saida. So it, it's impossible to say, but it is very, very important to tell the story of those sexual relationships post-slavery. Mm-hmm. That they were, the slavery did not speed, did not slow down um, the sexual propagation. That white men didn't lose their lust for African women after you know eighteen sixty five. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah, you know, and and because the racial power dynamics were still there, black women still got exploited. People exploit who is around them, and people um, have sex with who is around them, and. Uh, there was at one point in our history something like 90% of working black women were domestics. So we're literally working in white people's houses, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Literally are in the most intimate parts of white people's lives. Well, sex is an intimate part of life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Strom Thurmond very famously had a child. You know, at 16, he impregnated his family's housekeeper. This is the the worst kept secret in all of white masculinity. This is how power and sex could never be disentangled. That shit was deep. Now let's go back to my mom. Now my great-grandfather, your complexion or even lighter, his name is William Spencer Short. And his wife was darker than your father. Oh, so the opposite. So the female was darker. The female was darker. Mm -hmm. Now they had a big family, but none of their children were ever fair-skinned. They were all dark-skinned. So, which kind of like, okay, well, maybe this man could be my grandfather because of his father being so fair-skinned. But then I just, you know, it it just had that question mark because my mother, I mean, if I showed you a picture of my mother, she you would, you would say she was white. So it's interesting because you have made this hypothesis. One of the cool things about genetics is that when... When two parents come together and they have offspring. So what I'm trying to explain to my mom is this idea of recombination. You could think about this in the context of a deck of cards. So in a typical deck of cards, you have 52. But in your genome, you have 46 chromosomes. You get 23 of them from mom and 23 from dad. So if you have these two separate decks, when they come together and you shuffle them, they make a unique order of cards. And this unique order of cards still has the same origin, 23 from mom, 23 from dad. But every time you shuffle them, you get a different order of these cards. So, for example, when you have siblings, you all have the same origin. You still have the same 46 chromosomes coming from the same parents. But the different order is what makes you separate from your brother or from your sister. So remember, every shuffle that you do is completely random. There's no way to predict what order the cards may come in. So each sibling is going to look different or they could look exactly the same. Dad, why don't you tell us a little bit about my paternal side of the family? My my grandfather was one of five, and my maternal grandmother, who's part Indian, mm-hmm. you can see it in her face. If so you're we got at, Indian in our family. 
Yes. Most black people do it all day. When Christopher Columbus arrived in the Americas, his dumbass thought that the island of the Bahamas was actually India. You may remember this story from history class. So he incorrectly labeled indigenous Americans as Indians. And unfortunately, the name stuck. As you can see in my dad's phrasing, the term, I got Indian in my family, had been adopted in our vernacular. But who we are really referring to is indigenous Americans. Native American, I'm sorry, Native American. And do you know what kind of Native American? So my dad said all African Americans have Native American ancestry. He even thinks he knows what tribe we are from. The Chapatulas are one of those tribes down Mm -hmm. there. But in actuality, that's a myth. When we look at our admix genomes, African Americans have less than 5% Native American ancestry. To spill the actual tea, here is Saida. So I always thought of that being tied to a couple things. And the most pronounced of it was a claim to hair texture. Mm. I think we assumed that hair texture on the continent of Africa was monolithic. And therefore, if our hair texture was not our imagination of a certain type of kink that African people can have, then therefore we must have different genes. I mean, but we do the same thing with like, oh, you know, my eyes are different shaped, you know, uh, you know, it's because, you know, I got Indian or I'm Asian, et cetera. Mm. But all of that genetic variation is represented on the continent. And a lot of that is also coming from our European ancestry as well. Right. So it's not to say that there are not Black people with Native ancestry. When Black people started going out West, we often did live in places that still had Native American populations, Oklahoma, all these. Now, Black people from those areas have a little more of a claim to me. The other side of that, uh, talking about genes, Indigenous people in this country, if you are, quote unquote, registered, right, as an Indigenous person with a tribal affiliation, we make them prove their Indianness, which is totally runs contrary to the way that most indigenous nations understand their own identity. Because for most indigenous people, if you are raised in the culture, you are native. Thank you, Saida, for coming through with the facts. Now let's get back to my daddy. The Jeff name came from South Louisiana, Morgan City. From what I understand, we were part of the descendants from the Thomas Jefferson, one of the kids moves down south to Texas. And we're part of that Texas, Louisiana thing from up there. So my dad is trying to claim our possible lineage to the Jefferson family. But let's talk to Saida about the history of our last names and the possible connection to slave owners. So one of the things that happened after slavery, so in that time, Black people emerged from plantations and many of us start immediately doing a few things. Your last name was like the the barcode on you. So oftentimes Black people are trying to cast off those names and they're trying to reclaim new ones. Now, they're reclaiming the names of presidents because mm. presidents are these revered, respectable figures. So they're choosing Washington and they're ah. choosing Jefferson. So we talk about the creativeness and the resilience of Black people and how we reinvented our last names, not of those of our slave owners, but those of presidents. Now, what about our first names? Dad, you have an African first name. You changed your name to Kalfani. And Mom, your African name is Zakia. So my name, my English name is Dean which is a English name. Mm-hmm. And Dean did not identify 
who I was. Mm -hmm. Kalfani, which is a Swahili name for destined to rule, mm -hmm. was an identifier for, for me. It's a, a freedom. It's mm -hmm. a freedom to uh, kind of disassociate from the former slave owner. These things that have happened to our people mm -hmm. considered, you know, taking our knowledge and education you know, our knowledge of who we were mm -hmm. and then stealing that from us. So we mm -hmm. have to kind of reassess mm -hmm. and, and re-adopt who we are. So historically, black people rely on names to tease out their identities and heritage. During slavery, our ancestors were stripped of their African names and renamed European American names from their slave owners. So to push back against this, parents who came up during the civil rights movement used their children's names to resist European American standards. Modern day names are a reflection of our non-conforming identities, representing creativity, uniqueness, and the rise of Afrocentricity. So African Americans in New Orleans specifically started remixing existing names, adding African and French inspired prefixes and suffixes conjugated with a formula. So La and Lay, like Lakeisha, or Da and Day like Deshawn, or Ja and Jay like Janina. So we add those to the beginning of names, or we end them with Eek or Equa like Shaniqua, or this girl in high school who was named after her daddy Cliff, Cliff Shequa, or we merge two existing names like Jason and Yvonne's baby's name is clearly Javon. We also begin using Muslim names like Jamal or Kareem and French names like Dominique and Monique. These are all clear examples of the resourcefulness of Black folks to redefine ourselves and our lineages without even having genetic technology. In other words, the Sankofa principle. So in a quest to learn about my lineage, my parents tell us how they use non-genetic forms of identity to tell me all they know about our family tree. Similar to other cultures, we can try to use our names to trace our history, but names are very inaccurate. That said, without genetics, it's nearly impossible for us to trace more than three generations back. What are your comfort levels around using genetics to answer some of these questions? I mean, you see the commercials and the lady pops on there. I'm 60% this and I'm 70% that. Now I'm starting to wonder how valid, I mean, I'm talking to the geneticist, how valid is the results? So my mom asked about the accuracy of these tests. And the fact of the matter is, these tests are only accurate if we participate. The way it works is that when we submit our DNA, they're comparing our DNA to those that are in their database. So if less of us are in the database, then our results are only going to be as accurate to the people who participated. So if there are only three Africans that are in the database, they're going to assume that we're all related from that one African, since that's who we're most closely related to. But as everybody in the family starts participating, we'll start to see higher resolution. And I can literally submit my DNA and find out who my cousin is next door. So one part of the accuracy is tied into the participation. So how do we increase participation? How do we make these tests more accurate? There are several barriers worldwide that really prevent us from understanding and educating ourselves on what these tests mean, getting access to these tests, and building trust. And when we, as a worldwide population of African descent individuals, improve this understanding and then have the access and tap into this access, we really can improve the accuracy of these tests. Thank you. 
I love you guys. We love you too. Thanks for coming all the way to New York. All right, fam. We're close to the end of the show. This is the final segment, Gene Therapy. This is the part where I leave you with a take-home message about our genes, our wellness, and our community. Our genomes are rich and full of untapped uniqueness. We are a part of the African diaspora, and as such, we are at mix. We are full of flavor like a bowl of jambalaya. We got shrimp, peppers, sausage, you name it. And you best believe everybody lining up to get a taste. So now that we have access to scientific technology to understand our genomes, the recipe is up for grabs. But we can't just sit by the wayside and be consumed. We need to be active participants in the processes of understanding our rich genomes. And we also need to be active participants in understanding the legal and political implications of genetic testing. Because decisions about us shouldn't be made without us. In every part of your DNA, you have this wealth of information. It is your duty to learn about it, protect it, and use it for good to create a generational well of knowledge about your identity. See, here in the lab, we want to create a community that not only knows about the beauty and the resilience of the genome, but a community that is knowledgeable about how the genome defines our identity. Your genome is invaluable. If you love this episode, we have more coming for you. This podcast is independently funded. And so if you would like to hear more, we really need your help, fam. It truly takes a village. We can't rely on big corporations to sustain our work. We have felt very strongly about the show's integrity. So it's important to us to find the right partner that sees our vision and does not water down or whitewash our tone and message. Until then, we are relying on our community to sustain our production. To support funding for the show, you can help us out monetarily and non-monetarily. Some monetary ways that you can help with the growth of our show are by contributing to our GoFundMe campaign, It Takes a Village. Any donation is beneficial to us. We are looking to raise money to buy equipment, pay our staff, fund any travel needed to record, and for mixing and mastering of our episodes. Podcasting is expensive, fam. You can find the link to our GoFundMe campaign in the description of the episode. You can also become a monthly sustainer of our show through our Patreon. That entails committing to donate any amount of money to our show every month. If helping us out monetarily isn't feasible for you, there are other ways that you can help us out. That includes telling your family and friends about the show, subscribing to us on your favorite podcast app, giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing the episode on social media. In Those Jeans would not be possible without our close family. Our lead producer and audio unicorn, Sam Riddell, really is the mastermind behind the show. Sam produces, co-writes, audio engineers, mixes, scores, and coaches me. She does all the things. Not to mention, she's a scientist, futuristic nerd, and podcaster herself. Please check out her show, Inner Ho Uprising, a smart and funny podcast about sex, love, and dating from four black feminist 20-somethings living in New York City. A huge thanks to Chris Diggins, our creative director, who brings the idea for all the clever black culture analogies you hear in the show. Please check out his YouTube show, Pop Rose, where they roast the latest things in pop culture. The music you hear was produced by the one and only Chad Milliner. 
Our theme music is by DJ Chapalot. Voice acting in this episode was done by Matt Riddell. Our resident race expert is Dr. Saida Grundy. This episode was recorded at Spotify, Gimlet, and Pineapple Street Media. A special thanks to all my friends and family who lent me their voices for this episode. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter at In Those Jeans Pod. In Those Jeans is created, hosted, written, and executive produced by me, Dr. Janina Jeff. See you later, fam. <laughs>